Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This week, my friends, it has been a doozy. And before I get started, this is the third recording of this podcast. It is the night before this podcast drops. You guys will listen to this in a matter of hours. And it's because I'm talking about something that... Honestly, I'm still learning about. Today's podcast is about intent versus impact. And I don't think it's coincidental that my first two attempts at this podcast did not have the impact I was intending to have. And I want to give a really big shout out to my virtual assistant, Ashley Timberlake, who, as she was editing, was able to hold me lovingly accountable for not being in alignment. I also had my moments where I tossed and turned after submitting my podcast to her for the transcript. I tossed and turned, really wondering if I had done the work that I set out to do, if my intention had landed and if the impact had landed. And I actually checked in with her to see if the impact had landed and we both decided it hadn't. So here we are, recording again on Saturday night. And this is what the work is about. You guys, I want to be so transparent with you that I am here in the trenches with you. The things I'm talking about, I've learned a lot about. I've researched the heck out of them and I'm still learning. I'm still trying to implement them. I'm still trying to embody them in some ways. I am still here deconstructing with all of you. I have learned a lot, but I don't have it all figured out, and I'm human, and I make mistakes, and I feel like I learn just as much from these podcasts, if not more, as you guys do. So just know you're on this journey with a friend. We're all imperfect. We're all doing our best to create change in our lives that feels good and to live more authentically and more empathically. And we're trying to make change in the world, right? We're trying to make the world a safer, kinder place for all people to be authentic and to live lives that feel good. And we're going to stick our foot in our mouth sometimes and we're going to say the wrong thing. And sometimes we're going to center ourselves, which is what I did in my last recording of this podcast. I was talking about intent versus impact, and I got onto LGBTQ issues, and I centered myself, a white, cisgender, heterosexual person with my own limited lens, and it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I am so grateful that I have people in my life who love me well enough to say, I know your heart, I know your intent, and your impact didn't match up. Are you sure this is what you want to broadcast? So Ashley, 
I love you forever. I am so grateful that you love me so well and that you hold me accountable. I'm so grateful. You guys, if you have someone in your life that is brave enough to come to you who loves you completely, you know that they want the best for you and they come to you and they say, hey, this didn't line up with what I know your values to be or this could be hurtful to people or this was all about you and I know your heart and I know you want it to be all about them. That is such a gift. If you have somebody who is willing to enter into that kind of accountability conversation, know that it takes courage for them to show up in that way because they're being very vulnerable to have that conversation with you and they're doing it because they care about you. They care about your relationship. They care about how you show up in the world and they want what's best for you. So I am so grateful that I have people like that in my life and I feel especially grateful that I get to work with a person like that in my life and my husband is a person like that in my life. And so tonight I'm feeling so grateful And we are recording again because I want to make sure that the impact of this episode lines up with my intent, which is to help us be able to get over our own shame and to be able to help others who are trying to relate with us get over their shame, right? Like to make this as easy as possible for all of us to actually create beneficial impact in the world. Now, in the last episode that I recorded, the one that I threw out, I talked about Pride Month and I talked about the Black Lives Matter movement, and I am in no way qualified to talk about those things. So I will seek to collaborate with people in the future who are actually living the experiences in those movements. I'm going to stick to religious transition and trauma today, even though they're very parallel to those movements and they intersect in many ways, I'm not going to touch those today, but know that I will be looking to collaborate with people. If you know anyone in the LGBTQ community specifically, I'm looking for people who are not cisgender. I am looking for people who are not white. If you know any public speakers, anyone who's passionate about talking about Pride Month, raising awareness, helping people know how to be better allies, please connect us. Let me know who they are. I would love to collaborate. So I'm throwing that out there um, because I have learned a lot just in the past couple of weeks. I'm hoping that this recording goes better. So hang with me and let's dig into this because this is such an important topic. I feel like intent versus impact comes up in all different places in life. And like I said, it it comes up anytime we're trying to make changes in systemic injustice or with racial issues. It comes up whenever we're talking about privilege. But for us specifically today, we're going to be just talking about how intent and impact come up in our relationships with still believing family and friends. Okay, so what is intent? Let's talk about that really quick. Intent is what we mean to do, right? It's the outcome we're hoping to have. 
And impact is how it actually lands. It's how the person that we are interacting with receives it or the community that we're interacting with receives it. Now, what I've noticed is that out in the world, when we talk about intent versus impact, what ends up happening is someone will come to a person and say, hey, this thing you did hurts me. And I've noticed over and over again, this discussion that was started with, hey, this thing that's happening hurts me, becomes a discussion about whether the person that did the hurting is a good person or not, whether they intended to harm or not. And it's actually interesting. There was a study that was done not long ago in the business world. The study was done by Daniel Ames and Susan Fisk, and they found that people judge impact by intent. We all do this. We all think that if someone intended to do the harm, that the impact of that harm is infinitely worse. And that if they didn't intend to harm, then the impact of that harm isn't as bad. But here's the thing. In this particular study, they had a pretend CEO make a decision that caused a person to lose their job. Now, in the first scenario, they presented the CEO as somebody who had been doing shady business, somebody who had been doing illegal things, and it caused the company to go under and to lose the person their job. And people judged that CEO much more harshly than the one who had just made uninformed choices that led to the loss of the job. In both scenarios, the person loses their job. The impact is the same. We have a person now who is without income, who has to find a new job, who is under stress. And yet, as a society, we believe that that impact is not as big of a deal if the CEO didn't mean to hurt the person intentionally versus if they did. And we do this all of the time. We think to ourselves that people shouldn't have hurt feelings if the person didn't intend to hurt them, but only if they had malicious intent. And so what happens is somebody comes up and they say, hey, this behavior that you're doing hurts me. Let's put it in religious terms. When you preach to me about my life choices, it hurts me. It makes me feel like you don't trust me. It makes me feel like you think I'm a sinner. It makes me feel like you think I'm going to hell. It makes me feel like you think I'm less of a person. That sort of behavior hurts me. It makes me not feel safe around you. And often in response, and I'm sure this has happened to you at least once before, often in response we get people that are like, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. I can't believe you're getting so offended. I just love you. And I want good things for you. I don't want you to go to hell. And so it becomes this discussion about their intent and whether or not they're a good person. I'm not a hurtful person. I would never hurt you on purpose. Of course I love you. I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad. I'm a good sister. I'm a good friend. I'm doing these things because I love you. Can't you just accept that I love you? Raise your hand if this has ever happened to you. This is a pretty universal experience for people who've left high-demand religion. I know 
many of us have had this situation where it feels like a parent favors the siblings who are still going to church, but maybe not so much us through their body language or the words they use, who they choose to sit by, who they give presents to at Christmas, those kinds of things. And when we bring it up and we say, hey, I've noticed this behavior and it makes me feel like you don't love me as much as my siblings. Many times our parents say, well, of course I love you. I can't believe you would say that. Look at all the things I've done for you. I can't believe you would insinuate that I would do harm or that I'm a harmful person. And it becomes an argument about whether your mom is a good mom or whether your dad is a good dad or whether they intended to hurt you or not. And and it becomes a conversation about whether they're a good person. Really what's happening here is it's becoming a conversation about shame versus guilt. And I know we've talked about this before. Shame is I am bad versus guilt, which is I did something bad. So we'll come to someone and say, hey, this thing you did hurt me. And what they hear is, you're hurtful. You're a bad person. You're harmful. Intent is often a shame-driven conversation. Is the person a good person with good intentions or a bad person with ill intentions? Most people are good people. Most people don't suck on purpose. Most of us have good intentions, even when our impact is really awful. Parents often fear and shame their children because they're worried that you're going to go to hell and they love you and they don't want you to burn. Parents often say and do terrible things Because they feel like they're losing you and they don't know how to connect and they love you. Our still believing friends and family preach at us and try to give us information that we don't want because they're afraid for us and they care about us. And all of that comes from a really well-intended place, but it doesn't make up for the impact where we don't feel safe And we don't feel seen. We don't feel welcome. We feel judged. We feel othered. We feel dehumanized. We feel like we don't make our parents proud. And so these are really big discussions that we need to have, right? Now, before I go any further, I want to make sure that I iterate that when we're having conversations, it's not just the people who are still in the church that have a responsibility to make sure that we still have a relationship. There's a responsibility that we have as well. And right now I'm only giving one side of this, but then I'm going to switch and we're going to talk about the other side of it because sometimes we cause harm to those who are still believing. Sometimes we make them feel unsafe. And so it has to be a two-way street. But for right now, I'm just going to talk about what happens when other people's good intent lands with impact that is hurtful, harmful, or traumatic for us. 
Now, before we get into really building relationships and what is needed in order to have safe relationships, I want to bring up something that most of us from a Christian background were taught, and that is the golden rule. Most of us were taught to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. But here's my problem with the golden rule. My problem with the golden rule is that it still centers us and what we would want. If I would want it, then that's what I'm going to give to you. If this is how I feel love, that's how I'm going to give it to you. And for those of you who are familiar with the five love languages, you know that we experience love differently from one another. So for instance, I experience love through words of affirmation and through physical touch. Those are my love languages. But my husband experiences love through acts of service. And my sons, one of them experiences love through time together. When I spend quality time with him where I'm completely focused, that's when he feels loved and seen. But the other one's more of an introvert. He likes alone time. For him, it's when I run my fingers through his hair and scratch his back. If I were just giving words of affirmation to my husband and my two sons, I think they would know I'm trying to love them, but I'm not sure either of them would feel completely loved because they feel loved in different ways. Just because it's the way I feel loved doesn't mean it's the way they feel loved. I feel loved when people tell me I'm loved and when they tell me the good things about me. But one of my sons feels loved when I'm rubbing his back and the other one feels loved when I am totally into his imaginative story. And my husband feels loved when I clean the garage, get all my stuff organized out there and make it a nice clean place for him to dwell. If I told my husband all the time that I loved him, but I didn't pick up on his cues that he'd really like me to pick up all of my gardening stuff in the garage, he might feel like I didn't think he was very important. And that's what we're talking about here. The golden rule is still a self-centered rule. This is the way I would want to be loved and respected. This is the way I would want to be seen. This is the way I would want to be served. This is the way I would want to be included. So that's what I'm going to do for you. And that's okay. That's a good place to start. But if we're not checking in with our impact, if we're not checking in and saying, hey, did this land the way I wanted it to land, then many times we miss the mark. You know that old adage, to assume makes an ass out of you and me? I think that applies here. When we assume what people need, Maybe it's a great place to start, where we start to empathize with, if I were in this situation, how would I feel? What would I want? What would this be like for me? It's a great place to start empathizing. But it's not enough, because all we have is our own lens, our own experience, and it's not enough. Obviously, 
as I told you at the beginning of this podcast, I have a white, heterosexual, cisgendered lens. It is not enough for me to understand LGBTQ issues. It is not enough for me to understand racial issues. It's not enough for me to understand other people's religious issues because all I have is my own perspective. And yet, I have to start there. So I start there with empathy and feel into what would this feel like for me? Is there something inside of me that can connect with what this might feel like? But then we have to reach out to other people and we have to say, is this what it's like for you? We have to listen to other people's stories. We have to listen to the impact. And this applies in so many situations from business to medicine to education to interpersonal relationships to marriage to religious trauma. This is a huge piece that we're missing is we don't just do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We start there maybe, but then we check in and say, is this actually what you need? Is this actually helpful? Do you actually feel loved? Do you actually feel included? This religious message that we're trying to deliver that's supposed to bring you peace and contentment and joy and connection, do you actually feel peaceful? Do you feel content? Do you feel joyful? Do you feel connected? And if not, what are we missing? What would feel better for you? How can we make more space for that? We do this in our families too. Kevin, my husband, is often saying, we don't get to tell people that they're loved. People tell us that they feel loved. And I love that. We don't get to tell people we understand. People tell us they feel understood. That's what I'm talking about here. We show up with our empathy and with our willingness to want to help, and we check in to figure out what is actually helpful. What makes people feel connected and seen and heard and loved and helped? So the golden rule, I don't think, really is helpful anymore. It shouldn't be do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It should be do unto others what is actually helpful and useful to them. I think if we could really center in on other people's experience and allow for everyone to have their own individual wants, desires, things that feel good, we would have a whole lot less conflict and a whole lot closer relationships. Sometimes I'll get a really defensive answer back saying something along the lines of, well, there are too many people and I can't know what everyone would like. And I think that really comes down to certainty. We're wanting to have a certain formula for how to interact with people and help them feel loved. We just want it to be a one-size-fits-all. 
when the fact of the matter is we are 7 billion individuals living right now on this planet. There are more being born every day. We all have a completely different lived life experience. We all have our own various traumas. We all have our own personality. We have our own culture. We all have our own societal limiting beliefs and stories. And that leads us to have a very individual experience here on the planet. None of us are alike. We have shared human experience We can connect and understand that what you've experienced is sort of like what I've experienced. That's what empathy is. Your loss is different than my loss, but the emotion we're feeling is the same. And that's what's going on here with religious trauma. My lived experience of religious trauma is completely different than your lived experience of religious trauma. But we have very similar emotional responses to those experiences. And it helps us feel connected. It's what helps you feel seen as you listen to this podcast. It's what helps me feel seen when we have conversations on social media. We're connected because even though your experience is different than my experience, we know those emotions. We know what it feels like. Or we can approximate what it feels like. So it's not about having a magic formula, that one size fits all that makes everybody feel loved and included and all of that. It's about checking in with people and saying what feels good to you. We don't have to have all the answers. Each of us has the answers for ourselves inside of us. All we have to do is ask one another, does this feel good for you? Do you feel loved and included? What's making you feel unseen? How can I change and improve? And I think in order to be able to have these kinds of conversations, we have to collectively work on our shame resilience. I can't hear you tell me about the harm I've done in your life unless I know that I am a good person who has done something bad. That you telling me about your harm doesn't mean inherently that I'm a bad person. And there's a couple things we have to do for shame resilience. I had to do them with this past podcast. I made a mistake. I noticed I had a choice. I have triggers inside of me. And it might be good to go back to the podcast on emotions if this is not something you know about yourself. Go back to the podcast on emotions and feel into what does shame and guilt feel like in my body. For me, I get a rock in my stomach. Like I have a sinking feeling in my stomach. I feel hot in my cheeks. And I want to disappear. Whenever I realized that the impact of my past podcast did not line up with my intent, I felt all of those things. And I feel those whether I'm feeling guilt or shame. And I checked in with my thoughts. I was like, wow, I'm feeling something here. Am I feeling guilt or am I feeling shame? And I check in with my thoughts. If my thoughts are, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that. What was I thinking? You did it again. 
your failure, any of those kinds of things, that's shame. If I check in and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Wow, that was really out of touch. That's guilt. Guilt is awesome because guilt is my behavior was way out of alignment. Guilt is not who we are. Guilt is easier to change. It doesn't make it more comfortable, but it's easier to change. Shame, on the other hand, is really difficult to change. That's when we start building defenses around ourselves, putting up those walls, because when we feel shame, who we are as a person feels under attack. That's when we do perfectionism. That's when we people please. That's when we do narcissistic tendencies and we try to deflect blame. That's when we get defensive. That's when we gaslight people. Okay? So in order for us to hear that we've done harm, we need to be in guilt. And when we find that we're in shame, we need to be shame resilient. What that means is, first of all, I recognize, okay, I'm in shame. I know these are my triggers. I can hear the thoughts in my head. My thoughts are saying I'm a bad person. When that happens, before that happens, actually, we need to know who our safe people are. Do I have a therapist I can talk to? Do I have a really trusted friend who loves me to death, who would do anything for me? Can they listen to me in my shame or will they add to my shame? You need a person who can hold you accountable while loving you fiercely. If you have that, you can move through the shame because remember, shame needs secrecy, silence, and judgment in order to grow. So you need that trusted person. If you have not figured it out, as you're listening to this podcast, stop everything. Who is your person? If you don't have a person, do you have a therapist? Do you have a coach? Who is the person you can tell about the shame? That you can say, I did this thing. This is what I'm feeling. I'm in pain. I'm in crisis because shame feels like a crisis. And when we can say it out loud... And say, this is the thing I did. And have somebody say, hey, you are a fantastic person who made this mistake. And yeah, that's a big mistake. But you can fix it. It's not who you are. You just simply made a faux pas. You stuck your foot in your mouth. And now you're learning from it. That's fantastic. You guys, my VA was amazing. As I was having these realizations, she was like, this is beautiful that you're having these realizations. This is how growth happens. Like, this was amazing to have a person in my life that was proving as we were talking that she is a great person for me to talk to when I'm in shame. If I'm ever in shame in the future about something with business, I'm likely gonna go to her. Why? Because she just put a bunch of marbles in the jar today. She was able to say, I know your heart. What you just recorded is probably not in alignment with your heart. I don't think it came across the way you wanted it to. And this is fantastic. These kinds of realizations that you're having, this awareness, this leads to growth. These are the kinds of people we're looking for, okay? So... If you find that you're in shame, 
if you find that you're having that gut feeling, the embarrassed, hot, red cheeks, and the desire to shrink and to go away, recognize, and I even say it to myself, I'm in shame. Okay, this is why I'm in shame. And I look for my person to talk to. Often it's my husband. He's usually the person I bring shame to. But sometimes we're both in shame at the same time. And we cannot help each other out. We need other people to talk to. So know who your people are that you can go to when you're in shame. And you want someone who can handle your shame without adding to it or getting caught in the shame storm with you that can remind you of your worth and your value and that mistakes are part of the process of learning and growing. It can really help just to speak that out loud and to be able to move through it. All right, so now I want to move on to creating safe relationships with people who are still in the church. And this is tricky because in order for us to have safe, trusting spaces when it comes to intent versus impact, both parties have to make space to assume the best intent while also holding people accountable for their impact. It has to be both. I know a lot of us were taught to like choose not to be offended or to assume the best. And that's great. That's what I'm talking about with assuming the best intent. But it can't stop there if we're going to have safe, trusting relationships. It has to go further. We also have to talk about accountability. We have to talk about impact. So Brene Brown has the BRAVING acronym for safe relationships. And I know we've talked about this before. B is boundaries. R is reliability. A is accountability. That's for the impact, right? V is the vault. We don't tell stories that are not ours to share. I is integrity, which I think could probably be useful here too. Integrity is being willing to do the hard work, right? If we're having conflict, being willing to show up for the conflict. If things aren't working well, being willing to have the hard conversation. If we say, I love you and I care about you, then that means we're there for the good and the bad. That's the integrity piece. In is non-judgment, that we're allowed to be messy humans. I think that's important here too. We get to be complicated, messy individuals who need help sometimes. And then G is generosity. What's the most generous assumption I can make? That generosity, that's assuming the best intent. And that goes both ways. I need to assume that you're coming from a loving place, that You're sharing scriptures with me because you care about me and you don't want me to go to hell. That you're inviting me to church because you miss me. That you are trying to show your love and kindness to me, even if it is totally warped and not landing, right? I'm trying to assume the best in you. But the other person, the person who's still believing, needs to assume the best in us too. They need to assume I'm not evil or that I don't have ill intent. They need to assume that I'm a good person. They need to assume I'm not trying to ruin their life or hurt them. 
We can't have a relationship if both of us are assuming that the other person is a total jerk. So we've got to come to the relationship with good assumptions or it's not going to be a safe space to have any sort of conversation, let alone one where we have to talk about accountability, right? And then the other flip piece, because most of the time that's where Christianity stops, right, is we just assume the best in other people. But when we just assume the best and we don't talk about impact or accountability, we don't get any real change. So I need to be able to assume that you mean well in order for us to create a safe space. But I also need to be able to say, I understand that you're doing this because you love me and it's not working. This is how it's affecting me. Your methods are driving me away. They make me feel unsafe and unseen and unaccepted and unloved. We have to have safe space for both. We can't just be talking about intent. We also have to talk about impact. I know your intent is to love me and to save me and you care about me. But your impact is I feel othered and dehumanized. I feel judged. I feel unloved and unaccepted. And when somebody brings that to us, when someone says, this thing that you did hurts me, I know it's not your intent to hurt me, but I am hurt because of your actions, we take accountability. And this is something I really want to talk about because accountability So often when I've talked to still-believing members, and I've been guilty of this too, when I talk to still-believing people, I will say something like, this thing you did hurt me in this way. And I get an apology of, I'm sorry you were hurt. And that's not an apology. That's not accountability. When we're really showing up to be accountable... We take responsibility for our actions. I'm sorry I did this thing that hurt you. I'm sorry I keep preaching to you. I'm sorry I told you I love you unconditionally, but actually behind your back, I'm talking about you. I'm sorry I didn't invite you to the sisters get together. I'm sorry that I posted a post on social media about my beautiful family, but you weren't in the picture. I can see how that would be hurtful. I'm sorry I did that to you. That is accountability. Not, I'm sorry you were hurt by that. Whenever we say, I'm sorry you were offended, or I'm sorry you were hurt by that, we're actually shifting the blame to the person who was hurt. We're gaslighting them. And it's emotionally abusive. So let's make sure we're not doing that to other people. And also now we have language to explain to others when they do that to us. Because what happens is often we get upset, right? When that happens, when someone says, oh, I'm sorry you were offended, you feel that like, something irks me about that. Now you have language for that. You feel irked because the blame was just shifted to you. 
for feeling offended, for feeling hurt, for feeling othered. They're sorry that your feelings are out of whack. That's gaslighting and manipulation. It's not okay. And it's not an apology. It is not accountability. Real accountability looks like I'm sorry for my actions. I'm sorry for my words. And honestly, it takes shame resilience to be able to do that. Because often people shift blame when they feel defensive and they feel like they're being called a bad person or a hurtful person. And we will deflect that shame onto someone else rather than feel it ourselves if we're not aware and if we don't have a way to move through the shame. So if you find that someone is deflecting to you or you're deflecting to someone else, check in with yourself about shame. What am I feeling right now? And who can I talk to? Can we pause this conversation where I can go and take care of the shame? And then can we revisit it again when I'm feeling less attached to the harm and like I'm a bad person because I made a mistake or because I accidentally caused harm? And encourage people who are in that place with you to go and do their own work too. It's okay to say, hey, it feels like you're trying to shift blame. And it feels like maybe you're feeling a little defensive. I'm not attacking you as a person. I think you're a good person. And this behavior is hurting me. We're talking about the behavior, not you. Is there a way for us to work around this right now? Or do you need to go and like take care of feelings for a bit? It's okay. We can come back to this. Now, you guys, if you are having this conversation with someone who's emotionally immature, they will get pissed off. That will happen because they just want to deflect the bad feelings to you and then walk away and forget about it. Feeling through things with emotionally immature people is difficult because they haven't been taught how to feel their feelings. But we know what that's like, right? I mean, that was me 11 years ago. I didn't know how to feel my feelings. I had never been taught how to feel my feelings. I couldn't even name my feelings. So I can have compassion for someone who doesn't know how to feel their feelings. And that doesn't mean I need to be manipulated or abused because they don't know how to do that. I can invite them to do their own work. I can invite them to go take care of themselves emotionally because also important, it is not my job to heal someone else's emotions. I cannot do that for them. I can hold space for their feelings. I can talk through their feelings. I can hear their feelings. I can let them know they're safe to feel whatever they feel. But ultimately, I can't heal other people's shame. I can't heal other people's anger. I can't heal other people's sadness or loneliness. I can only hold space for it while they heal it themselves. So... As we're having these conversations, if you have someone emotionally immature in your life who's trying to deflect and put all of the blame on you, hold a boundary of what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. Don't take baggage that isn't yours. It's okay for you to recognize this isn't mine. I'm not accountable 
for what you did. I'm accountable for my feelings, but that doesn't then absolve you from the action that you're taking that's creating these feelings. Let's talk about it. And last, you guys, as I'm wrapping up, I think it's obvious we all make mistakes. No matter how good of a person we are, no, how, no matter how good our intentions, we're going to make mistakes because we're human and we're learning and we're growing. We're forever evolving. I make mistakes all the time. Sometimes I feel guilt about them. Sometimes I feel shame about them. Sometimes I don't feel either one. Sometimes I'm just like, well, I did that and this is what I learned and we're going to move on. We're all going to make mistakes. What we're looking for here, whether we're dealing with systemic injustice or racial issues or LGBTQ issues or privilege or just interpersonal relationships or religious transition and trauma, we're looking for progress, not perfection. Allow yourself to show up. The best way to learn is just to show up and do your best. Allow yourself to learn when you make a mistake. We learn the very best by just moving forward and learning as we go. Thank you guys so much for showing up with me. I'm going to wrap this up so that I have time to edit it and get it all ready for you to listen here in just a couple of hours. Thanks for being willing to hold space for me to be human. Thanks for being willing to hold space for me to learn right alongside you. Thanks for being willing to be on this journey with me. It's so nice to know I'm not alone and that we're all learning together. I feel so blessed, which is sort of a triggering word, but so blessed to be in the arena, as Brene Brown says, with all of you. It's difficult out here. As she says, sometimes we get our asses kicked. Sometimes we fall on our faces, but there's no other place I'd rather be than out here in the arena with you all. Learning, growing, doing brave things, and falling in the dirt sometimes. It's way more fun out here, learning and stretching and growing, than it was being stagnant before. I appreciate you all so much. We're going to be having lots of conversations about this. I would love to see you in the Facebook group. Um, Head on over to the Emancipate Yourself Facebook group if you want to have discussions on intent versus impact. And we have upcoming podcasts about all kinds of things and just all sorts of big topics that could get really hairy and interesting and fun to talk about. You're more than welcome to show up and be imperfect there. Heaven knows I'm imperfect there. Or if you just want to have a private discussion, you can reach me on Instagram Messenger or Facebook Messenger, or you can shoot me an email. All of that information's in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you all there. Thank you so much for the ways that you enrich my life with your presence, with your stories, with your conversation, and with your experiences. I appreciate you more than you know, and I'll see you next Sunday.